Hello and welcome back. I'm Dr. Nicola and this is Aspen Talks Health. Today I am joined by Dr. Joel Furman. He is an internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural healing. He specializes in preventing and reversing diseases through nutritional methods. He is the president of the Nutritional Research Foundation and the author of six New York Times bestsellers, including Super Immunity, Eat to Live, The Eat to Live Cookbook, uh, The End of Diabetes, End of Dieting, End of Heart Disease, and his latest book is Fast Food Genocide. I am so grateful that you're on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Great to be here. Thank you. I have to tell you that I admire you very much because, number one, you are a master art at articulating some very complex science in a way that people can really receive it and that you are so good at, at just telling it like it is. You will call people out on their stuff, which I commend. Thank you. Thank you. So let's get started. We're going to talk about what to eat and basically what not to eat is the general topic. Um, you've come up with the term nutritarian. What does that mean? Can you describe it for us, please? Sure. Well, a nutritarian understands that what they eat affects their future life, their future health, and that we're in control of our health destiny and that a diet rich in nutrients, in the amount of nutrients, and the broad spectrum of nutrients humans need, if that's present on a regular basis, you're going to be in great health. So the, the, the feature here is that nutritarians eat lots of healthy food to get lots of nutrients, and they avoid overly processed, you know, high-calorie junk food. We're trying, we recognize that if we're going to live a long time, we want to have our full mental faculties intact. We want to have our body working. We want to enjoy our playtime. We have a good health span, a good play span, right? And have a great, healthy life because food matters. We are what we eat. Yeah, absolutely. So getting the most nutrition out of every bite is how I That's right. Nutritional it. bang per caloric buck. You got it. Yeah, and you have the Andy scoring chart, which I love. Mm -hmm. Can, uh, that goes over the exact nutritional quantities of different foods. That's right. It's the word Andy stands for aggregate nutrient density index, which adds up all those 36 different nutrients in each food to see the, which foods have the most. And it really is just a tool to demonstrate to people how much nutrients are really in colorful produ produce, like green vegetables, compared to eating something like a piece of chicken or a bagel, which almost has nothing. Because most people don't realize that processed foods are almost void of nutrients, and that animal products have no fiber, no antioxidants, no phytochemicals, and very small amount of vitamins and minerals. If you're going to be get, if you're going to um, want your body and your brain to be nutritionally nutrified, so to speak, right. so you can live a long life, you've got to eat a tremendous amount of colorful plant food and reduce animal products and processed foods, either all the way or to almost nothing. Thank you. What are phytochemicals? Well, phytochemicals are those colorful thing that what make plants have color number one because they give you know because plants have color but number two they're in the plant to protect the plant and make the plant live and survive because the plant is a living thing mm. you know trees and bushes and vegetables and fruits are living and they they exist to perpetuate their species and the fruit drops from the tree and goes into the ground with a seed but what I'm saying is right now is that those foods contain life-giving nutrients that, that we as animals require and need because our body develops with the need for those for sustenance and for longevity. And these advances in nutritional science shows a difference between our immediate needs for survival and our long-term needs to stabilize the DNA, to enhance and stabilize longevity proteins, the telomeres, and the stem cells. 
So when we achieve nutritional excellence, we're not just surviving, we're protecting our body for a long life. So the body utilizes these phytochemicals from plants to stabilize our DNA and to protect our cells' integrity so we can live a long life free of disease. Without those nutrients, without eating what I call G-bombs, yes. right, greens and beans and onions and mushrooms and berries and seeds, without an exposure to the full symphonic effect of all these nutrients, we can't live without, we don't live a long time, we don't live disease free, and when we eat these nutrients, then we, our body is most protected. Yeah. Can we go over those in detail? Sure. Let's start with G. G stands for green vegetables. Yes. And green vegetables are perhaps the most protective of all foods against heart attacks, against strokes, against dementia, and also against cancer. Mm. And those particular green vegetables with the most protection are the dark green leafy cruciferous vegetables like kale and bok choy and arugula and watercress and cabbages and broccoli and you know so those are particularly lifespan enhancing and they form these compounds called ITCs or isothiocyanates ITCs and ITCs activate the cellular machinery that's present in all our cells so the cells protect themselves stabilize the DNA, removes free radicals, right. removes damaging and toxic waste products and dead materials and, and aged waste products. In other words, the cell's internal machinery can prevent aging of the cell rest and restore integrity to the cell, but only if we sufficiently supply it with those nutrients found in green vegetables. We are a green vegetable dependent animal, just like the other primates. What is a gorilla and chimpanzee and what is a baboon? What do they eat mostly? They mostly eat greens. Interesting. And without green vegetables, we can't be full humans. We can't have full health. Our body is dependent on those. How much a day do you recommend? A lot. Hi. You know, <laughs> there's no threshold effect because there's a recent study on 135,000 adults followed for, for decades showing that in the highest quintile of green vegetable consumption had the longest lifespan. In other words, we're trying to get to the top of that level of green vegetable consumption. You know, I want people to eat a large salad of raw vegetables a, a day, and I want them to also eat a serving of cooked vegetables a day, too, with a lot of greens in it. So if you add up all the vegetables in the salad and the other greens you're eating, it probably comes to almost a pound, you know. Right. And lightly cooked, is that the key? Well, I want them to eat the salad every day. Right. And then the vegetables they cook, yes, like wok for five or, ten, five or six minutes. Or yeah. if you're going to steam it, use a timer so you don't overcook it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, don't overcook it too much. Good. Okay, G-bomb, so B. The B stands for beans. Yes. You know, all the blue zones, those areas of the world with the longest of people, always eat beans as a major source of calories. Mm. Beans are associated with longer life. They are the carbohydrate source with the most slowly digestible carbohydrate, and they have the most resistant starch. Now, the slowly digestible carbohydrates means their glycemic load is very low. They, their glucose that comes into the bloodstream, the carbohydrates that get broken down, come in so slowly that they don't require a lot of insulin to digest them. When your insulin needs are less, you have less of that fat-promoting hormone circulating. Likewise, the beans also contain what's known as resistant starch, the more than any other food, which means the calories in beans don't all enter the body. They're resistant to enzymatic degradation, so the calories pass through you undigested, so you sensed you had those calories. It ratcheted down your appetite by that amount of calories, but those calories never came into your body. So they're a great weight loss food, and they're rich in compounds like inositol pentacus phosphate, it's a big one. 
that's how you know it's anti-cancer. It's 26 letters long, inositol pentacus phosphate. It has to be good for you 26 letters long, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, of course, it's a very powerful anti-cancer compound. In the nurses' health study in Boston, women who ate beans the most regularly had the lowest rate of breast cancer of any women studied. You know, the, the beans are associated with lower rates of cancer across the board. Wow. Lower rates of diabetes, lower rates of heart disease, lower body weight. They're the, they're the, if we score carbohydrates on a hierarchical scale of quality, of course, beans and legumes and lentils and peas come out at the top. Okay. And uh, black beans, kidney beans, any red? Are there any better than others? Well, y yes and no. It seems to appear that soybeans eaten as edamame or dried beans that you cook in soup or as tempeh, because that's when the whole bean with the fiber is intact, seems to have more protective effects against breast cancer even than some other beans. So it may be the case, all beans protect against breast cancer, but soybeans may be the most protective against breast cancer when consumed in the whole food state. Interesting. You don't have to have them fermented? I don't know where I've heard that. No, because tempeh is a fermented soybean product. Okay, right. But edamame is not fermented. Right. You know, and, and when you buy dried beans and you put them in a soup, yeah. they're not fermented. You're cooking them in a soup. Yeah. No, the effects aren't, don't, fermenting doesn't increase their anti-cancer effects. Okay. Okay. Oh, onions. That's right, the O for onions. You know, most people don't realize the power of onions to prevent cancer. Most of the recent studies show between a 55 to 88% reduction of almost all cancers across the board of each cancer they tested and, the, and, and showing that when people use raw onion and raw scallion in their diet and you have that, you cut the onion, it makes your eyes tear, it makes that sulfenic acid, it forms these organosulfide compounds that have very powerful immune suppressing effects, increasing the body's ability to cause apoptosis of abnormal cells. That means mm -hmm. death of cells that are abnormal. You know, the body has the ability to survey its cells, membranes, check when they're looking abnormal, and replace them with a new cell and remove cells before they become cancerous. But the, the, fu the fuels that enable the immune system to do this, of course, are the greens, beans, onions, and mushrooms. You know what I mean? Without those foods, you're left, you don't have that super immunity we're going for here. So onions you recommend raw. Do you also saute them? No, I recommend onions and scallions raw. raw. And then if you're going to want to get the full nutritional value out of them, the anti-cancer effects cooks, yeah. then you would puree them into a slurry while it was still raw. Okay. And then you would add them to the soup to cook. But they have to be blended or crushed while they're still raw. So it causes oh. the compounds to be formed. Interesting. And then you add them while you're preparing the rest of the soup. Yeah, you can pour them right in there. You see, the, okay. there's a compound in onions called allianase. A-L-L-I-I. N-A-S-E, allianase, okay. and that's a heat-sensitive compound. We want to blend them while they're raw so the compound has an, um, catalyzes the reaction to form the anti-cancer compounds. If we cook it first, mm. we put the onion, plop the onion and cook it, deactivates the allianase, then we blend the onion into the soup after it's cooked, you don't get the anti-cancer effects. You've got to blend it while it's still raw. And I use a lot, make a lot of leek soups, so we use a lot of leeks in soups. We cut the little root off, a little inch off the top, cut down the middle, take the dirt out, Put the whole leek and blend it in the blender. We ladle a little soup liquid in there, just enough to make it blend into a slurry. And then pour that into your soup. Now you've really created tremendous anti-cancer compounds in the soup. So you don't have to eat it all raw. It can be cooked as long as it's blended raw first. Okay, so you cook the soup first separate, and then you, you can blend the, on, the onions or, or the leeks and the leeks, and then you add those in after the soup is cooked. No, you can put it in while the soup's cooking at any point. It, that's okay. In other it's words, you put the water 
in the pot. Yeah. And then you put the beans in. You get that started cooking first because that yeah. takes the longest. Right. Okay. okay. Then the next thing you do is pull out your juicer and maybe juice some carrots and celery, whatever kind of juice you want to add to the liquid to give the liquid some flavor. Got it. Then you take your raw kale or water or um, mustard greens or turnip greens or collard greens, whatever kind of green vegetable you're going to add to the soup. Put it in the blender. Ladle a little liquid from the soup in there, just a little bit to make it blend, and blend it up while it's still raw. Pour that into the soup. Uh, then take your okay. leek or your onion or your scallion and put that in the blender lid and then blend that and pour that in. So while it's cooking, just keep doing, keep working. Then clean the kitchen, cover the pot, put it on low flame, and come back an hour later and it's done. Got it. Nice. Okay. okay, thank you. We left the mushrooms out of the soup, though. Yeah, next mushrooms, mushrooms. zucchini. Yeah, mushrooms. Go ahead. G-bombs, mushrooms. Mushrooms are the food with the most powerful aromatase inhibitors. The word aromatase is the enzymes that produce estrogen, excess estrogen. And excess estrogen increases risk of breast cancer. And women who have extra fat on their body mm. and also who are eating improperly, they have, could have 10 times the role the estrogen tissue, uh, 10 times the amount of estrogen circulating in their breast tissue, increasing risk of breast cancer. But mushrooms say, no way, Jose. I'm not letting you gain weight because they're anti-angiogenic. They interfere with fat storage. They say, no way, Jose, I'm not letting you get breast cancer. They have anti-aromatase effects, anti-angiogenic effects. They must be bilingual. They say, no way, Jose. Right? <laughs> they must speak in Spanish or something. But, but it. they have very beneficial, tremendous beneficial effects. You know? And they also have an, um, antigen-binding lectins that help the immune system recognize abnormal cells. So eating a variety of huh? mushrooms in your diet is very, very valuable for cancer protection. Variety, so okay. not just shiitake, all across the board. Well, the cheaper mushrooms, the cremini and the white button mushroom and the portobello, still have very powerful anti-cancer effects. Okay. So mix a little bit of those expensive shiitakes in your diet with some of those cheaper white button or cremini or, or, or um, portobello, and, you have, and that's good enough. And if you want to add some others, if you can afford it, terrific. Got it. You know, what I'm saying right now is that we have, we already discovered the cure for cancer, not the cure. We've already, we already discovered how to prevent cancer. We've got it packaged already. You know, I always say we've landed the man on the moon already, which means we already know how to land the man on the moon. We already know how to prevent cancer. We can win the war on cancer right now. But yeah. people don't like the answer. They want a magic pill. But that's a fairy tale. We're not going to get a magic pill that's going to prevent lung cancer. We're smoking cigarettes. We're not going to get a magic pill to prevent breast cancer. We're eating pizza and bacon and hamburgers and french fries. We have to eat our G-bombs. That's yeah. the secret sauce. Yeah, so true. B. Berries. berries. Berries are tremendously powerful and rich in those anthrocyanins. And you know how berries have those blacks and purples and reds and blue, right? right? Those, those colorful compounds have, are flavonoids, which have an incredibly powerful effect to enable the body to produce its own antioxidants. You know, flavonoids activate the body's antioxidant defense systems. They're very important and they're very protective of brain function and they have powerful anti cancer effects. Yeah. And last but not least, those seeds, flax seeds, chia seeds, sesame seeds, which actually facilitate the absorption of anti-cancer compounds from other foods, contain omega-3 fatty acids, but they have this special compound in there called lignans, L-I-G-N-A-N-S, lignans, with very powerful anti-estrogenic effects and very powerful anti-breast and prostate cancer effects, and they also lower blood pressure. They also protect the heart against irregular heartbeats. So people underestimate how powerful seeds are. If there was a drug that could reduce a woman's risk of dying of breast cancer by 71%, that people would be paying $1,000 a month for this drug. It would be the most successful drug in human history. But the studies on flaxseeds, the recent studies showed that 
women who had breast cancer followed for 10 years had a 71% reduced risk of dying when they ate flax and lignans from flaxseeds every day. That's all they did was have the flaxseeds. But the whole G-bombs, when you have the whole portfolio of anti-cancer foods in your diet, then the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah, so chia, flax, and hemp, right? Or also sesame seeds? All those. All of those. Because the hemp has, oh, has um, omega-3 fatty acids, very good for you, and a lot of good, good plant protein in there. But the sesame seeds have some lignans, but the most lignans are in the chia and the, and the flax seeds. Okay, good. You also advocate walnuts, right? I do. Yeah. I advocate all nuts. Good. But walnuts in particular are very are the king of all nuts. Nice. It looks like a brain, right? So it helps your brain? That's what I was told. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> they do help your brain, and they do look like a brain. So that's a very, I'm glad you reminded that. It's something I could use in my lectures. Thank you. Um, how should people who are addicted to processed foods make the shift to health? I mean, do they go cold turkey, and just, or, or do they just focus on G-bombs and cut everything out automatically, or is there a, a kind of weaning off like a drug addict almost? Yeah. You know, that, that's an almost impossible question to answer because for some people, they really are better cold turkeying it. Yeah, because even a, even a little bit of their trigger foods go, make them go haywire and overeat. Yeah. And for other people, if you tell them they have to cold turkey it, they won't do it. They, they want to be, we want to prove to them this can taste good and we can change their taste buds and they're going to like it. But I'm, but I'm agreeing with you. I'm more of an advocate for the cold turkey approach because I've seen too many people fail with the slow approach because they've gotten, fall back to their old habits again by not doing it all the way. Because when you really cold turkey it, it, you, it's, it takes less time to have those addictive tendencies. You have to get rid of those foods at some point. Right. Because they, they are like, people have this illicit love affair with dangerous foods, yeah. you know? And they're killing them and, they, and their brain is addicted to those foods and is dopamine dependent on right. them. Right. And the brain just wants to go back and have that hit again. Yeah. And until they are off that food for a long enough period of time, they can't resist it. So, and as you know, I've got a tremendous amount of personal satisfaction by actually taking people and putting them into, a into my retreat. And I keep them in there for two or three months. They stay there a long time because I can retrain their taste buds, retrain their food preferences, get them time away from their addictive triggers so they're no longer dopamine dependent, and also intellectually teach them how to make the food taste great, give them the skills, give them the, the counseling of why they're using food as a crutch. Get rid of, they wind up leaving a different person with the obstacle, obstacle solved, enjoying this way of eating, and now they can stay with it forever. And before, without that exposure, that in-depth immersion, they couldn't do it. Yeah. So I built this place where people can come who can't do it on their own, and for people who have medical conditions like obesity or diabetes or heart disease or lupus or asthma or psoriasis, who really want to come to a place to, to get well and make a complete cha change in their, in, to make this miraculous health transformation. Yeah, nice. Good. It's, it's fun. Your latest book, uh, Fast Food Genocide, talks about class one carcinogens. Yes, it does. Can you talk about those, please? What are they? The World Health Organization has classified processed meats and red meats as class one carcinogens, which means a proven carcinogen, not a, not a probable carcinogen. Yeah. And we're one of the only countries in the world that allows class one carcinogens to be served to children in school cafeterias. It's outlawed in wow. Europe. It's outlawed in the Arab countries. It's outlawed in Israel. There's no, you can't serve these food, foods to kids. They're too dangerous. But wow. in this country, we can give, we could, it's like giving kids cigarettes. 
you know, or asbestos. Yeah. That's where, so asbestos and cigarettes are also class one carcinogens, for example. You know, things that are definitely proven to increase risk of cancer. But they especially are dangerous when you eat them in your childhood. Because when you're growing as a child, the cells are replicating. And when yeah. cells are replicating and growing, they unravel the DNA, being more damaged from carcinogens. So feeding them to children is even more um, ignorant and irresponsible. Huh. Wow, powerful. Why are animal proteins more uh, or cancer-causing versus, explain the difference between animal proteins and, and plant proteins. Right, I mean, we're not saying protein is, is cancer-causing or lifespan shortening. It's just the animal protein that's cancer-causing. Plant proteins and high-protein plant foods like hemp seeds and broccoli and Mediterranean pine nuts and wheat germ and, you know, a lot of and edamame and soybeans. There's these, some, so the higher-protein plant foods, which may have a higher amount of protein than burgers and eggs, or, you know, they're higher, still don't increase risk of cancer because their proteins are not as biologically complete and also because the choline and certain part in the animal protein fuel the growth of gram-negative bacteria in the gut. What's and the that? Well, we are, the bacteria live inside us, the microbiome that live in our digestive tract. When you eat a certain diet, you, you fuel the growth of a gram-positive organisms, and when you eat more meats and sweets, you fuel the growth of more gram-negative organisms that can be more pathogenic and produce more dangerous pro-inflammatory compounds like TMO, TMAO, or trimethylamine oxide, which is a pro-inflammatory tint that increases risk of dementia and heart disease and maybe even cancer. But the things that we're talking about right now is that animal protein, because it enters the bloodstream in excess protein that's already biologically complete, and we don't store the extra proteins well or turn them into fat as efficiently as fat or carbohydrate, so we turn that extra protein into hormone, like IGF-1. And the extra protein you eat is turned into IGF-1, which is a growth-promoting hormone, which promotes muscle growth, promotes growth in general in children, but in an adult that's fully grown, is promoting cancer. And right now, we have the world's nutritional researchers in all in agreement that higher levels of IGF-1 is definitively linked to breast and prostate cancer. And, it's and the high amount of animal protein is definitively linked to higher levels of IGF-1. Interesting. Can you blood test for IGF-1? Yeah, you could. And you can the see average range? Amer oh yeah, the average American is about 250. And the average vegan is about 150. Okay. The average marathon runner is about 170. So 150 is ideal? Between 100 and 160 is probably good. Okay. You know? The, but getting too low later in life, being like 50 or 60, is not good either. Then you're deteriorating. Because you're deteriorating. You're yeah. getting too frail and too wasted away. But, but most Americans have such high levels that it's, we know that that's one of, the, one of the major factors promoting cancer. So I'm obviously a plant-based diet advocate, uh -huh. but I get resistance. And the feedback, the, I can't live without meat. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I, just, I, I need meat. I crave it. I need it. What do you say to those people? Um, I don't know what to say to them. Um, I, f um, I feel bad. I don't either. <laughs> I feel bad for them, and I've always liked the taste of meat, but I know that it's going to shorten my lifespan, and I enjoy living too much. I enjoy skiing and, and playing sports and living life and music and art and movies. I enjoy life too much. Why do you want to cut short your life? But what's even worse, it doesn't just cut short your life. It makes your life miserable because you develop heart disease and cancers and dementia and put in a nursing home with strokes. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'd rather be dead than eat that way. 
I'd rather enjoy my food and die younger. You don't just die younger. You suffer for 10 or 15 years having life being living hell before you die in most cases. Huh. You know, who wants that? You know, if you want to have meat, then use an ounce of meat put into a vegetable bean mushroom burger and, and limit your consumption to very low levels and use it as a condiment. You can't have good health if you're utilizing meat in the amount most Americans are utilizing it. Yeah. We have a few more minutes. Uh, can you tell us briefly about keto diet, your thoughts on keto? Well, you know, people come up with ideas and hypotheses, and there's been crazy diets circulating for the last 50 years. There's probably a thousand different diet books out in the last five years, all with their own take on the subject. And they appeal to certain groups of people that want to eat a certain way. But we give credence to studies that, are, that follow people for decades and follow hard endpoints like death. And when we look at low carbohydrate diets or high protein diets, we find they increase risk of early life death. Even the high-fat, low-animal-protein keto still has come out with a study. The long-term studies that we have more credence associated with them show higher risk of premature death. Mm -hmm. We need fruit in our diet. We need those, in other words, taking the fruit out of your diet, making your diet low-carbohydrate, staying in ketosis, is lifespan shortening. Low-carbohydrate diets are dangerous long-term. You don't get a free ride. You don't get something for nothing. We need the full orchestra of micronutrients playing from all the colorful plant foods on the full symphony, yeah. and the full symphony orchestra. We can't take all the carbohydrates out of there and have good health. We need those phytochemicals, those fibers, those antioxidants, and the longest of people are always the people with the biggest exposure to, to uh, the assortment of natural plant foods. Wow. And paleo, same? Paleo's worse, huh. because some of the keto people are at least recognizing that too much animal protein is bad, so they're giving people more avocado and more nuts, and they're giving people less carbohydrate and less fruit and less grains. It's not a, a well-balanced diet, but the paleo people are worse because they're giving a high animal protein diet. Mm. It's kind of like a keto diet, but they're giving more animal products with more protein, and that's the formula, the most powerful formula for lifespan shortening and premature death. Wow. Your thoughts on coffee? Not too many thoughts on coffee. In small amounts, it's, without putting sugar in it, it's probably not bad. And for, and for people who are not eating beans, it's some flavonoids in there for them, for not, beet, for not giving them a health. They're not on a healthy diet, but it's roasted. There's form acrylamides in it. Mm -hmm. In high amounts, it exposes you to too much caffeine. You know, it can cause some issues. So it's yeah. not something I recommend, but, it's, but in small amounts, it doesn't seem to be harmful. Good. How can people get a hold of you? The best way to learn more is drfurman.com. They can find all the information we've talked about. I have books and I have a member center where people can communicate and ask me questions and get their protocols for reversing diseases. And of course, for more information about my Eat to Live retreat, yeah. because everybody knows somebody that might require, it's a food addict who's overweight or diabetic or have some problem that would need to have come to a beautiful place to get well. And you know what? Drugs are toxic and most often increase risk of cancer, and they're not saving people's lives. They're enabling them to stay, to stay sick. And we want to get people well so they can get off their medications and get rid of their diabetes, not control it for the rest of their life. We're talking about type 2 diabetes, yeah. that to get rid of their type 2 diabetes, to get rid of their asthma, to get rid of their high blood pressure and high cholesterol, and we're setting people free. You know? So that's where real, really it can be tremendously useful for people in need. Dr. Furman, I am so grateful for your time and all your wisdom. Thank you for sharing with me. My pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, check out AspenTalksHealth.com, and I will put up Dr. Furman's information as well. Thank you.